The following sermon is from Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City at the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Manhattan. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith. Head to fapc.org and join our email list and be sure to subscribe to FAPC in New York City, our YouTube channel. And now we invite you to breathe deep and lean into the beauty of worship with Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. Our scripture reading for today comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. I invite you to listen now for a word from the Lord. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the entrance of the tent to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, my Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourself and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham hastened to the tent to Sarah and say, Make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it, and make cakes. Abraham then ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. As a child, my parents used to read me the book, If Jesus Came to My House, by Joan Gale Thomas, before I went to bed. This is how you know you're a preacher's kid. Other children are reading Chicka Chicka Boom Boom and The Very Hungry Caterpillar Before Bed, and you're reading If Jesus Came to My House. Despite the book's lack of frills or color, it was and is a sweet bedtime read. Maybe some of you are familiar with it. The story starts by saying, if Jesus came to my house and knocked upon the door, I'm sure I'd be more happy than I've ever been before. The illustration shows a little boy standing in the front entryway, welcoming in a childhood Jesus. The little boy then goes on to describe an idyllic day full of hospitality. He says, if Jesus came to my house, I'd let him ride my favorite rocking chair and play with my favorite toys. I'd show Jesus the apple tree in the backyard and give him the best apples. I'd let Jesus have the longest ride on the rocking horse and any flowers he wants from the garden. And all through the book, there are pictures of the two of them swinging on swings and dipping cookies in milk. It's a sweet story, if Jesus came to my house. It reminds me a little bit of our text for today. 
Our scripture passage for today, Genesis 18, drops us right in the middle of Abraham and Sarah's story. So before we jump in, a little context, a brief reminder about who Abraham was. Growing up, the most significant lesson I learned about Abraham was that he had many sons and I was one of them. I'll admit, that's a confusing song for a little girl to learn, but that's what I was taught. Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. Since those early Sunday school days, I have learned more of Abraham's story, and it's not all as rosy as the song implies. Twice, Abraham gives his wife, Sarah, away to other men to ensure his own protection. Abraham turns a blind eye to the mistreatment of Hagar, and we can't forget that he almost sacrificed his son without consulting his wife, which leads to Sarah and Abraham never having a recorded conversation in Scripture again. Abraham might be the father of many sons, but he was a complicated human. Fortunately, despite Abraham's human flaws, Scripture gives us today's story. And in today's story, we see Abraham shine. The story begins with Abraham resting in his tent when three visitors appear near him. The text doesn't tell us who the visitors are or where they came from. It only tells us that Abraham looked up and they were there. The second Abraham notices his guests, he leaps into action. The text says when he saw them, he ran from the entrance of the tent to meet them and bowed down to the ground. And you can hear the urgency in his voice as he says to them, do not pass by. Let me bring a little water. Let me bring bread. Stay. Rest. You are welcome here. The text then goes on to detail how Abraham turns into a whirling dervish of hospitality, hopping from space to space to coordinate a meal much nicer than the original bread and water he'd promised. Somehow, Abraham pulls together a feast of milk and curds, the best homemade bread and the most tender calf. It's the gold standard of hospitality. Many scholars love to look back on this text and speculate who Abraham was doing all this work for. The book of Hebrews would have us imagine that these strangers might be angels. Reminding us in chapter 13, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, you might entertain angels. Others, including famous icon artist Andrei Rublev, would have us imagine that Abraham was actually entertaining the Holy Trinity. Father, Son, and Spirit right there in his backyard. If you picture Genesis 18 that way, as if Jesus actually did come to Abraham's house then it would be no surprise that Abraham would pull out all the stops. 
If Abraham knows he's entertaining angels, well, of course he'd reach for the gold standard of hospitality. Of course he'd serve the best. But what's amazing to me is that at this point in the story, I'm not sure Abraham could have known who he was serving. At this point in the story, Abraham's guests have not predicted Sarah's pregnancy, which immediately follows today's verses. At this point in the story, there have been no prophetic conversations, and the text gives us nothing about the three visitors having a holy appearance. So as far as we know, Abraham runs from his tent to serve three strangers who look just like anybody else. He offers the gold standard of hospitality not because he knew that they were worthy of his care, but because someone was at the door, and that was enough. Friends, Abraham was not a perfect person, but in this moment he shines. In this moment, in his unfiltered acts of hospitality, Abraham gives us an example of what it looks like to treat everyone with radical welcome. Abraham doesn't know who the strangers are. He doesn't know where they came from. And quite frankly, that doesn't seem to matter to him. All he knows is that they are at the entrance of his tent. So he says, come in, come in. Let me get you something to eat. I'm sure if he'd had a rocking chair and an apple tree, he would have offered those as well. And I'm sure that we as the church can learn from his example. Scott told me one of my first weeks on staff that 100,000 people walk by the front of our church on an average weekday. I double-checked with him again yesterday to make sure my memory is correct, and it is 100,000 people Monday through Friday, and then maybe also again on the Puerto Rican Day Parade. I think about those folks sometimes, and I wonder how many people walk by, look up at our steeple, and wonder if God cares about them. How many people do you think walk by and wonder if they'd be welcomed here? How many people walk by and feel like it's been too long since they stepped foot in a church they're just not sure they'd fit in anymore? How many people do you think walk by every day desperate for a place to belong? Is it a hundred? A thousand? A hundred thousand? I don't know. But like Abraham, I am convinced that we have people standing at the edge of our tent who are waiting on us to say, come in, come in. I am convinced that there are people out there who need to know that the porch light is lit for them, which means it's our job as the church to do everything that we can to welcome people into this community. Now, What I'm not saying is that we should heckle, shame, or peer pressure people into joining us. We know what that looks like, and that's not gospel. 
What I am saying is that we have bread and we have water. So if you're weary or you need a place to belong or if you're looking for God, there's room for you here and the world needs to know that. Here's what I mean. A few years ago at the Montreat Youth Conference, the keynoter for the week, whose name I cannot remember, shared a story that I want to share with you all. The keynoter shared that there was a family in her church that always celebrated Christmas at their grandmother's house. Their grandmother was known for making this massive spread of food and decorating the table with individual name tags at each seat. There would be candles in the window and music playing, and no matter what, when they arrived, the front porch light would always be on. It was a tradition the family looked forward to every year. But that year had been hard. Their grandson, Max, who was about 19, hadn't been home in weeks. He was struggling with addiction and depression, and the family had tried everything. Interventions, therapy, rehab. But Max had left and had not come home for a while. It had been a long time since the family had heard from him, and everyone was worried, and no one expected him to show up that night. So on Christmas Eve, the family began trickling into Grandma's house as they always did, but things felt different because Max wasn't there. And it didn't take long before people noticed that their grandmother had saved Max a seat. There was his placemat and his name card, just like always. Out of love or grief or both, one of the cousins finally said, Grandma, I know you mean well, but he's not coming. We haven't heard from him in forever. He might not even know it's Christmas. Why don't I put that plate away? And the grandmother turned and looked at her grandchild and said, Sweetheart, as long as he's out there, this porch light will be on. As long as he's out there, there will be a place for him at the table. Friends, I think that's our job as the church. Our job is to, like Max's grandmother, set the table and leave the porch light on. And like Abraham, we are to run from the entrance of our tent and to say, come in, come in, we have a seat, we have a place at the table for you. Our job as the church is to do everything in our ability to let people know that they are welcomed here. That no matter how lost they feel, no matter where they are on their journey of life or love or faith, they are welcomed here. If you miss church for a decade, you're still welcomed here. If you show up at the door a weary traveler, you're welcomed here. If you're not sure what you believe or if you feel like your life is just too messy for God, you're welcome here. This place is for you. God loves those inside these walls and God loves those outside these walls. Therefore, we leave the porch light on. 
Now I wish it was as easy for us as leaving a name tag at the table like Max's grandmother did for him. It's harder as a church to figure out how we can welcome, how we can leave the porch light on. But I think it starts by realizing that we're not all here. I think it starts by knowing that there are people at the entrance of our tent, people who have been wounded or are unsure, people who need our invitation. So we prepare the table. We try to learn each other's names. We talk about this place like it matters to us because it does. We invite people to join us and we continue to profess that this is God's house and all are welcome here. So remember, God loves you. But God also loves those 100,000 tourists out front. So don't be afraid to jump out of your seat like Abraham did. Don't hesitate to make homemade bread. Leave the porch light on like Max's grandmother. Say over and over, can I get you something to eat? Come in, come in. And remember that we're not all here. And if we do that, then I am confident that in time, we will know that Jesus has come to our house. Family of faith, as you go, may you remember that the porch light is on for you. And may we continue to tell people we meet, come in, come in. There is space for you here. Now as we leave this place, may we love as if love is not a scarcity. May we hope like there is a better tomorrow. May we live like we belong to one another, because we do. And may we trust that nothing can separate us from the love of God. So in the name of the lover, the beloved, and love itself, go now in peace, go now in joy.